Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Football Astronauts. It's Jetpack Galileo here with Ryan Keeney. How are you doing today, Ryan? Doing pretty good. Just got back from having some ice cream with the family. So got the the Blizzard Oreo down and ready to do some podcasts. That's a good choice. Uh, fail safe for sure. If you're ever scrambled, you can always go with the Oreo Blizzard. Yep. Yeah. If you ever walk up to the window, which is what I did tonight, and I had had really had no idea what I wanted. I just like, you look at the person who's serving you and they kind of pause for a second and you pause for a second, you know, that awkward moment. And you're just like, um, or blizzard, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what size medium? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was good. It had been a while since I got one. Nice. Yeah. Right on. That's, that's, that sounds awesome. Um, great. So what we're going to do today is we'll be getting into, um, reviewing the latter half of our startup draft that we began discussing on the last pod. Uh, but first, we're going to start with the off-season buzz that we've been catching lately. And so, Ryan, you had a, a couple stories that caught your attention throughout the week. You want to go ahead and, uh, yeah, just kick that off. Yeah, let's, let's kick it off with Zeke. So Zeke has been getting some buzz this off-season, per usual, where he is again in the best shape of his life. So at the start of the start of this pod, I was taking down notes like, oh, what, what sort of offseason buzz is something that is actually going to mean something to me. And I thought Zeke was going to, going to go into the <clears throat> it's signal for me. Like it's actually means something. And then I started looking back at the buzz from 2020, 2019, 2018. And it was like, it's like the same headline over and over again for Zeke. And I guess what kind of caught my eye this time is that it did it did look like he was slimmed down a little bit, which I think is good because there's a few seasons there where he was looking a little pudgy and it didn't seem to perfect his important performance on the field or just at least how much workload he was getting. But I love to see it when running backs slim down and get more athletic, kind of what we've seen David Montgomery sort of do kind of in from maybe two seasons ago and coming into this season. Towards the end of last year, we started to slim down, started to look a little quicker on the field. So my hope was is that that was something that was going to be positive. Now, I will say that Zeke in the past, he hasn't had the best off seasons. So in, remember in 2019, he held out for most of the off season. And I think there were some pictures of him somewhere tropical, enjoying himself and putting a lot of work, I think, in the offseason to kind of get back in shape for that season. Um, and then remember last season, he actually had COVID. He actually had a whole month where he couldn't work out last year. So just to me, I was kind of thinking that that will be something that would be more signal than maybe I'm actually deciding it is at this point. But it's just kind of interesting to see that there's these guys that come into camp every year and the beat reporters, it's just like they love them. And I it always surprises me that there are players, fantasy players, beat writers, who are surprised that football players look athletic. And <laughs> it's a trap that we've all kind of fallen in before. He's like DK Metcalf. He's like, you know, a Greek Donis here. He's just like this fantastic player. He's just like doing these box jumps on one foot. And like those are really impressive things, but it just always, it's like, we shouldn't really be boosting those players at all. Like they're some of the best athletes in the world. And we always kind of act surprised when they are the best athletes in the world. So that was one that I was kind of chuckling. because I was finding myself kind of get caught up in the momentum again and had to do a little heat check on myself. So how about you? Is anything you've noticed this off season? Well, yeah, I think with, with Zeke, uh, for me, I've always been, a big fan of him in terms of his dynasty value. I think he's going to continue to hold RB one value. Um, and you know, he's reaching that age. I think he's 26 now um, where people are saying, okay, it's time to sell, you know, he's, he's hit his peak or he's, he's been as good as he's going to be. And um, you know, I, for me, I'm like, I, I'd be buying that. If anybody's selling Zeke, I'm happy to buy. I think you get two more years of, of good RB one play left. And, you know, still potential to be top five. So, um, yeah, as far as the, the hype for him, I think it's, you know, we see the same thing with the the beat writers. It's easy to get excited about the guy you just paid $90 million and you're committed to for four or five years. You're going to have to hype him up. You have no choice. Uh, and so with with Zeke, though, I, I think the thing that excites me the most is 
Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins coming back, right? You had half of your offensive line blown up last season, and, and that's a real killer. And so to see all those guys return and hear the excitement in camp that, hey, these guys are healthier, they're at least feeling good, and um, to even hear from Tyron Smith, yeah, I'm going to play until the wheels come off kind of stuff. That I mean, that that's that's uh, to me, that that's exciting because then you got all these guys that are they're all in. Um, and so when you're in that zone, then I think the the whole offense will will improve and look good. So, um, yeah, fr- from the standpoint of do I think Zeke is going to retain value? He's a guy that I'm still uh, drafting and treating like he is an RB one. So I'm not in any sort of like. Oh, I need to cut bait now, kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, through the first six weeks of last season, he had, had uh, all six of his games were over eighteen expected fantasy points, and in two of those games were over twenty five expected. Oh, that's rock points. solid. So that's yeah. Oh, after that point, so week six on, uh, so starting in week seven, he only had one game over seventeen expected fantasy points. So there's a clear drop off, especially right on right where that Dak injury happened. So Dak injury and then add in the changes on the offensive line. Yeah, it was really impactful. But he's a player that you can just kind of schedule in for that elite workload. You're talking usually 70% rush share um, and then you know 10 or 10% or so target share, which is fantastic on an offense that should be very efficient. It's very good. Was interesting towards the end of last year. Um, you were starting to see them lighten up his workload a little bit. He was averaging typically, you know, mid sixties to fifties rush share, um, but he's still seeing a nice target share rate around nine to thirteen percent. So, I, I would expect him to bounce back to what we'd ex- what we'd seen in in um, twenty nineteen and the early part of twenty twenty. Especially if really, I think it all hinges on deck. So, for for me, yeah. If you're especially in redraft leagues, Zeke is is an excellent choice. Someone who I think, like you're saying, he's the sort of player that is just going to be providing you RB one value until he isn't. I think <laughs> it's kind of a cop out, but it, it's hard to predict the fall off for these types of players. Uh, and until something significantly changes, where situation maybe like Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell, or it, you know a situation like Leonard Fournette, um, or one of those players where it's just it's hard to know when the that drop off is going to be uh but you'd be foolish to predict it before it's happened yeah uh so uh jay moyer pointed out something that i thought was interesting and that's that um mike mccarthy has not had a running back break over 300 carries for you know 10 plus years or something like that you know eddie lacy didn't really hit there or maybe he hit there once at the very beginning of his career and then he did a lot of timeshare work with james starks and all that so when i'm looking at zeke um i'm not you know there there's that outside range of hey maybe he does hit this top five rb season but i'm not really thinking this is still an elite player to me he's just a solid steady rb1 but that's his cost right and so i'm not high on him compared to adp i'm not low on him compared to adp or anything like that i like him where he's at but i'm definitely not fading him and i think that's the key like for me i have him at 16 and a half carries a game um you know hitting this like 17 18 points per game um so pretty solid right that that's right in your rb1 range and and so i'm excited about him i'm not fading him um by any means uh, i think he'll break a thousand yards uh, he didn't do that last season but i think he'll he'll hit it this year um but yeah, I, I got him at about 280 carries this year. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, I think things will continue on the way up for them. Yeah, that seems about right. If you project his expected fantasy points kind of um, average moving back over the last couple of games, um, a weighted average that we use, it, it would be right about uh, just a bit over 15, 16, 17 fantasy points a game. So, yeah, it's right in line with, with the data saying yeah, too. Right on. Cool. Um, so yeah, in terms of news, that means something, right? So maybe you're saying that, yeah, Zeke, hyping up a guy that you paid all this money to is it's not really something you're looking for. What are you looking at when you're looking at all these beat reports? Uh, for me, the news that matters most is negative news. So fun, that's a cognitive yeah. bias. You're paying attention to things that are actually bad. Um, but when a player is not living up to expectations, so that means either, it's an issue with them coming in out of shape. It's an injury that's lingering. 
um, can be things that are, it's not the player's fault at all. You know, they're just, for some reason, they're just not being put on the field by a coaching staff um, or they're just being beat out by a player that we might perceive as being worse than them. So, I mean, that's a, it's a scenario that plays itself out over and over again, where we're through training camp. We're like, why in the world is this player? Why can't this player beat out this other player? And usually that just means we're mis-evaluating the talent in the situation. So for me, it's looking at the negative news. Um, so I guess I'll open it up to you. Is there anything negative news? I saw a tweet from you the other day. A prompt you about someone was drafted by Dave Gettleman. Yes. That was negative news that had that raised my eyebrows. Yeah. So this report actually came out a month ago and it was Kadarius Tony uh, not showing up to camp and having issues getting into camp and staying in camp. And so um, I was, you know, I, we have a couple NFL connections. And so uh, we heard that they were having issues with, with Tony and it was more significant than just like this. Oh yeah, he's he's having a hard time getting into camp, um, but they're having a hard time keeping him in camp. Um, so like he's leaving. For, he had uh, basically he had he didn't sign his his contract yet. And normally most rookies they, they don't have their contract signed, but they come in for workouts. Tony was skipping those workouts, so he wasn't even coming in or showing up to anything like that. And then when they were getting him into mini camp, he had all sorts of issues. He had like a minor injury. Um, and then there was another day where his like cleats weren't working or, you know, you're slipping on the grass. And so he's like, no, I'm out of practice. Cause you know, my cleats don't work or whatever. And just like s- stuff about, I-, I heard stuff about, you know, trying like, there's like, Hey, you can get, you can wear you're, you're sponsored by Nike. You can get any Nike shoes that you want. And he's like, no, I don't want to wear that. You know, just like stuff that I'm, I'm hearing just on a, like more closer to the ground level that is just like this this is this could be a nightmare this could be just a total head case guy and so you're looking at i I think people will say oh we saw this in college right he didn't break out till his senior year or this or that right and like that happens all the time right like brandon Ayuk, he just broke out his senior year and you know and he ended up being a great player and so it's not necessarily like the analytical stuff a lot of it is sometimes you hop in and and you don't know the character of these guys until you see them when they get money in their hand, right? And then all of a sudden they're like, they're out, right? They're like, uh, and so with Tony, I'm I'm very concerned. For me, I'm hands off of Tony. Um, I think you can say what you want about uh, him being like potentially an exciting receiver. Uh, but just for like, I'm he's a major avoid for me. So that's not really a hot take at this point because a lot of people are already off Tony. Um, but, but I'm for sure not like, Oh yeah, this is some sort of steel value. Yeah, Tony Pro is presenting kind of an interesting case in our rookie drafts, where he was someone that if you wanted him, you could be picking him up early second round or kind of in that that range. Uh, and so he was he was there for the taking, and he's someone who had uh, some really electric tape on him this last year. And and it, I was always kind of surprised at his rating isn't awful you know his his overall grade was a 75.6 so it's squarely in the kind of average prospect range so you know a tier below your players like an elijah moore rondell moore um kind of those players but kind of you know above a player that you would kind of project as being someone who wasn't going to be drafted till maybe late round three or you know day four pick i mean day three pick so round four plus so he's he's a guy that I would be willing to or was willing to take a swing on if he had been falling in drafts just because he was such an electric player you're betting on someone who has you know he's shown and demonstrated the ability to get make the most of touches on the field at Florida and and it's like you you we're drawn to those players right as fantasy players we're drawn to players who can be dynamic who can be efficient on the limited amount of touches who are able to kind of work themselves into situations where the coaching staff is going to put them on the field. But the thing I kept on seeing over and over his profile is just gadget player, gadget player. I think being um, compared to like a a slightly larger version of like a a Percy Harvin, I think was a pretty good description for me. Just kind of put his, his production exciting, but maybe never that fulfilling when it actually comes to the bottom line of your fantasy team. So uh, it's someone who, you know, and it's 
never breaks a 10% target share first three seasons. You just kind of mentioned that until his final season, he broke out. And I think it's just going to be kind of more of the same in, in the NFL where it's just, especially if he's not putting in the, the work or, you know, you breaking this breaking news, you know, ground level reporting, ear to the ground jetpack. Um, I thought you'd be up in space. Maybe, maybe you got a satellite poking yes, down. Yeah. You know, we down. have satellites so, everywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, what is it? Skynet or something? Um, yeah. We've got tags on everybody. Um, he's, he's just a player that I, you know, me and you were avoiding. And it's the type of player we don't typically pick. We like to see someone who's got more stable production not just going to be put into a gadget role but yeah no you add this on top of it it's just not like his profile it's just like a another nail another weight on it It, it's just dragging it down for me it's just it's unfortunate to see um but it's it's actually something that's pretty common so it is something that i i you're talking about players who are missing workouts um not putting in the extra effort coming in out of shape those are things that we're looking for and in this case, it's it's just something, you know, put another red flag on his profile um, and you kind of move on. Yeah. I mean, if you got guys on the, t- so those are the other, I think we talked about this with Tua, right? You have guys on the team. They're like, ah, we're not really confident in Tua or, we're, or, you know, Tony, we can't get him to, to, to stay in camp. It's like the, these kinds of things, the players all notice this and they all know like who the ballers are. So um, I, we did hear though that uh, Kenny Galladay is legit. So yeah. Um, I don't, he's, he's a great value. I don't, you know, we talked giants real quick. Like he's that last wide receiver, uh, one kind of guy in terms of tiers where I think he could be a wide receiver, one value. And he's, I don't know where he's going with ADP. Where do we have him in our, in our best ball? I mean, he's a, he's, he's like the end of the tier. So I'd be pretty happy to be taking Kenny Galladay wherever I can get him. Yeah. Um, let's see, take a look quick here. Uh, ADP has been rising, um, up five spots or so like over the last month or so, but he's being drafted in underdog uh, right around pick 54 or yep. so. So that's um, end of the fourth round, getting to the, getting to the fifth round. So that's, that's, that's not bad. Um, I think we go take a look at our draft board, see where he went around in our start. Yeah. I mean, we had him, we had him after Tyler Lockett and we had him ahead of Devonta Smith. I love that value for Kenny Galladay right there. I think that's a great spot. Um, yeah, you know. yeah, it's. I'd be pretty happy with that. It's it's kind of weird. It's just a guy that I don't tend to be drafting at that spot, and I don't really have a good reason not to. Um, he's just a player that has always kind of been good and and not great. Although he's definitely had, he just it hasn't ever seems like he he puts a full season together. But that's just me not actually looking at the stats and just kind of just based on how it's felt having him on a few yeah. teams. Yeah. I think for the most part, it's so. a health thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you can put it together a year, I mean, he's definitely number one um, on his team at this situation. And Daniel Jones, if you can do one thing, maybe you can throw it deep. So yeah. we, our love of Daniel Jones is known on these <laughs> airwaves. Yes. We have proclaimed it before. Or not really, actually, but <laughs> I don't like him so much. But yeah, he's, he's interesting. Yeah, player. he's, he's two him. years removed from uh, being wide receiver nine, so I like him. Oh, yeah. uh, great. Yeah, yeah. He's him and Marvin Jones. We'll, maybe we'll wrap around to Marvin Jones here later. Oh, in the yeah, show. Marv. But I think, it, yeah, it's like all these extra Detroit guys who, you know, is it is it the player or is it is it Stafford? Right. And I, I think it's a mix of both. I think it's pretty safe to say that. So, uh, another player that I really like, who's kind of going around the same draft spot, he's going maybe a little bit later, is is uh, Jerry Judy. So Jerry Judy, of course, off season, uh, he's been getting the the love once again, and and he's going around kind of this few rounds later. Um, he's going about a round after Galladay. And he's being picked, you know, mid seventh round in startups, uh, into the eighth round. If you're lucky, and he's a player that I actually wasn't as high on last year coming into the season. But as the season kind of progressed, being able to watch his his game, he's a player that I really started to kind of come around on. And people talk about him having a bad rookie year, and that's really not the case. Oh. <laughs> It's, it, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it, 
you know, this is one thing. I think people look at this one-on-one drills. Like you see the one just lately that came out, like the poor corner, like it just, he's running in the complete opposite direction at times. <laughs> it's just, it's embarrassing. And I don't know if Jerry, like Jerry, who paid the guy off or something like that, just to like, Hey, take a left here. Um, but I mean, that's what it looked like. But if you start to go back and look at the stats last year, uh, Jerry Judy came on pretty strong. I mean, he had a 20% target share, um, 95 air yards a game, which is if you put those two numbers together, typically that is going to get you top 24 numbers. And if you're lucky, good efficiency, good quarterback, that can get you into the top 12, actually. So really, if I, if you're, you know, if you, I did this on Ty uh, and T Higgins last year, and I was looking at what numbers do you need to hit to be a top 12 QB? I mean, top 12 wide receiver. And the kind of the numbers I came to is that if you can hit 20 plus, 20% plus target share with 90 to 100 air yards per game, you've got a really good chance of being top 12 in expected fantasy points each and every week. So part of that is you're looking at air yards, which is not adjusted for kind of the offense situation that you're in. So you're requiring either kind of higher volume or you're requiring, requiring a offense that is throwing the ball a little bit more. So there's two ways you can kind of get more air yards. And then the other one is just kind of offensive agnostic, which is target share. So you're kind of mixing in, you know, mix of, hey, how good is this person on the offense? And then a mix of how is this person used on the offense? In addition to how prolific is the offense as is like overall as a whole. And what I saw was, is when T Higgins kind of got that, hot streak sort of the middle of the late season last year is he was mid twenties in target share, which is, is top 12. Like if you're a 25% target share, you really can't be asked anymore. The elite players, the position will average 25 to 30. Uh, they might have bouts where they're a little bit over that. Uh, and then they usually are seeing, you know, 90 plus air yards a game. So if you're seeing over a hundred air yards per game, you're an elite company. You're one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So he's got both these metrics, which are just barely hitting that threshold. Unfortunately, there are two things that kind of were holding him back. One, he only had an 80% snap share last year, which is surprisingly low outside the top 40. Um, and he was not very efficient, which is weird. And we start to blame that on maybe that, that, the quarterbacks that we had last year. So remember that one game where they had like the quarterbacks, like, okay. So you're not you're Kurt Warner, right? He was like a bagger at yeah. the same grocery store. Right. It's like, if like Kurt Warner's manager was asked to play, it was like, it was so bad. <laughs> and it just like, just like these guys who were coming, it felt like off the street in some situations, you know, it wasn't like a Tyson, Taysom Hill where it's like, at least Taysom Hill can like throw it more than 20 yards downfield. That was such a bad game. Anyway, Kendall Hinton. Stop talking about that. Kendall Hinton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just goes to show you why that like, okay. Yeah. Like the, oh, what do they call that gimmicky offense? It's like the. All, all 11. Uh, that Tebow, Tim Tebow tried to run it Wild a bit. Wildcat. Oh, Wildcat. It's like, that's not a way to succeed in the NFL. You got to be able to expand. You know, if you're allowing players up near the box it's going to go poorly for you. So anyway, long story short is I was kind of surprised. There's some things that were kind of red flags in his profile, um, you know, counteracting some of the things that were really good at 80% snapshot I mentioned. And then you have like Tim Patrick being way more efficient than Jerry Judy, which is really surprising. Um, And then of course Sutton returns. So for me, I'm actually pretty positive on Jerry Judy. I think the fundamentals there just in terms of target, target share, air yards per game. I think he's, quite a good receiver. I'll lean on some, some of the film guys saying, telling me that yes, one-on-one drills do seem to translate a little bit to the <laughs> NFL. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's like, you know, sometimes I wonder, it's like this guy's, he's like this, this um cornerback, right? He's like running the opposite direction is Judy. And it's like, he's playing a game of tag or yeah. something, but, but it, it's like, sometimes I wonder, it's like, is Judy so wide open because he's not running, the route like he's not where he's supposed to be but <laughs> that does, I don't that does, know. That um, does happen sometimes yeah it's so if he can polish that up and which i think is something that he can he can do i think jerry judy is going to be an excellent 1b to sutton's 1a because i think i think sutton is awesome uh and we'll get more into that but what are your what are your thoughts on jerry judy and his uh people would say struggles last year but it was actually quite good so i 
I just don't get it. Yeah, he's a he's a good player and in, in a great class. I so I think he's got the opportunity, or he's, he has a good rookie season in a great class, or should, we should say. I think he has the opportunity to be a great player. Um, he's I think he's already one of the the top five route runners in the league. And when we're talking about all that one on one stuff, I think it's a ton of fun for me to watch because it's just about the craft of the game and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and Judy has all of those things that. He so more importantly than what you're seeing in the one-on-ones is he he put plenty of great tape out on the field last season and he showed not only does he have the quicks and the ability to make sharp cuts and all that kind of stuff but his mind uh, is is that of somebody who's been playing in the in the league for eight years um, he comes up with things that nobody I've not, I've not seen anybody else do before in the NFL so there was uh, and you know just talking uh, maybe not I don't have the most comprehensive all 22 tape that I've, you know, ever, but, but when we're talking like the game against the Falcons where he threw up his hand, um, and he ran like a fake, uh, oh, remember, I remember that? that. And so <laughs> yeah, he, you, you raise up your hand where you're like, Hey, yeah, you know, throw me the ball. And then, yeah, he, uh, he ran a double move after that. And so there's, there's a lot of mind games that go into like what you're trying to do to manipulate a defender and Judy's Judy's brain like level the his creativity is so advanced that he's he's creating new new ways of of solving those problems and so just as far as like just that idea alone i think to me is is what excites me the most about judy um and you know maybe that doesn't necessarily always translate to to fantasy but just from that like standpoint i love him for that reason uh just a ton of fun to watch um but yeah in, in terms of the the 1a 1b i would agree with you i think sutton is going to be kind of the lead guy there um probably more in terms of touchdowns scored or at least uh red zone looks if you want to put it that way um that he'll be used in that capacity but um yeah we'll, we'll see how the acl goes i think um for me uh, judy is again adp wise he's he's about where I, I would want him um he's in that range you're not really getting a discount there there's a ton of upside but i don't i don't think you're getting like a huge huge discount uh, where he's going he's going about the same same place as Cortland Sutton so um yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and if I'm forced to pick I mean I'd like them both they're both going seventh round in our league I picked Sutton at the 709 and I was extremely happy to do that it's a player I've targeted in multiple startups this offseason right about that time so it's like I mentioned on the last podcast that I really like to try to be getting uh three to four wide receivers by the time I hit round seven. Sutton is one of the guys that is my target to have as kind of that anchor third wide receiver. And and the reason for that is Sutton has been getting discounted just, just due to missing all of last year. So he should be healthy going into this year. Um, but let's just rewind the clock a little bit and, and look through what he did in 2019. So he averaged 14 expected fantasy points a game. He's actually... His efficiency matched up exactly with where he was expected. So that translated into 220 fantasy points uh, for the entire season, which been wide receiver 21 this year. So right around Deonta Johnson level. So if, you know, just to kind of imagine if Sutton had had a performance like Deonta Johnson, you know, he'd be drafted a round or so earlier and then where he'd be being picked now. So I think you're getting about a round discount on Sutton just based on if he had you take his production from 2019 and you slot it into 2020. I think that's about where he'd be going and possibly higher just because he was something um, in 2019. So he played almost every game. I think every game uh, and he only had one game below a 19% target share. So, I mean, just think about that for a second. We think of Sutton as being this outside big play kind of almost like a Mike Williams type of player. That's kind of like the way we view him. But the way he was being used on that offense is was as the number one player that they were targeting. And and he had multiple games, you know, 30 plus percent target share. I think there was one game where he was over 40. So he's so shown the ability to be the number one on the field. And, and he was doing it when his competition had just about as many targets uh as he did so he i mean outside of noah fant there was almost nobody on that team that scored over i think it was even 80 fantasy points so he like he almost 
looped the entire wide receiver core on that team in 2019. Adding Judy is not a situation where I start to fade either of them. I think it's just fine. You see it in the past. If there's two very good talents or two elite talents on the field at the same time, they are more than capable of both pulling in a 20% plus target share. It's really about the talent. The you know, If we're thinking about this, it's going to be Sutton, it's going to be Fant, it's going to be Judy, and they're all going to eat. They're all going to be fine. Um, and, and Sutton's the guy that I think has the really the potential to be really good. And there's something else that kind of plays into that as well. Uh, Sutton for me is someone that's a little less reliant on a Drew Locke being excellent at going through his progressions or going to his, through his reads, because I think Sutton can be the primary read and, you know, if it's in a panic situation, at least, you know, take a deep to Sutton. So that, that'll work just fine. Whereas if, if Bridgewater's in the quarterback, maybe start to be a little, you know, maybe damper expectations a slight bit, but unfortunately you're, you're, you know, good and bad in dynasty startups. You're getting it. You're getting the, a terrible Denver quarterback discount on both of these players. If they had a player like Fields, I can't believe they passed on him or something like that. I think these guys' ADP would be up around round and a half at least. So, but instead we have to live with this. But hey, it's probably going to change in another year. So I don't think any you know Lock Bridgewater they're they're not they're not going to be there long term. But short term, do you have any opinions on on Lock or Bridgewater? Who start? Does it even matter? Uh, I'm drafting Locke like he's going to start, uh, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, it's tough because... I didn't realize I was talking to Jay Moore. Yeah. Jay is also a fan of Locke. We we share <laughs> we share the fandom. <laughs> I'm just messing. Well, so the deal with Locke is uh-huh. his rookie season, he showed flashes, and you're like, oh, this guy, he's got it. He's thrown with anticipation and all this stuff. And then made zero progress in his second season. I know. Really... I never saw just it. awful, <laughs> just terrible. Uh, and so the the things that maybe in his rookie season it was like, oh, okay, you know I don't really get that throw, but you're a rookie and you're taking risks, and you know that's what guys do. They take risks, and you like that. And and then in year two it was just like, okay, you need to stop. What are you doing? <laughs> so you know, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if he figures it out. I think um, Joe rolls. Uh, and he he did a, a thing with the Mile High Report um, where he looked at so it's a Denver Denver column uh, SB Nation, um, but he did a thing where he looked at all of the quarterbacks entering into their second year with the the offensive coordinator. So it was like, mm-hmm. um, and basically everybody improves except for it was like, I think it was like you know twenty five percent of guys don't improve, but everybody else improves on their numbers. And so um, for me, I think you know we see all this stuff about. Covid year and all this stuff that you you have to to take into account, right? Drew Lock getting his second season with Pat Shermer, uh, to me that's exciting because you have all the weapons there. Everybody is you know hopefully healthy going into the season, but this is one of the better, actually one of the better, uh, more talented, deeper wide receiver groups, um, and, and no Fant included uh, in in the NFL. And so you just need a quarterback to run the system. Um, you look at uh, Daniel Jones, 2019, he had uh, two receivers over that wide receiver two threshold. So uh, that was Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. And these guys are a little bit different athletes, of course. But, you know, those are the, those are the kind of the the things that you're thinking are possible. Uh, Daniel Jones had a, a, actually a decent 2019. So um, just from a yep. fantasy standpoint. So I, for me, that's kind of where I'm putting him is in like, oh, let's, let's do a 2019 Daniel Jones for Drew Locke. That's fair. I think the thing that could be the difference between those two players this year is the offensive line. Offensive line for the Denver was was really pretty terrible last year. Um, They have notorious for having uh, a center, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, who's who's pretty terrible. He had like 29 pressures allowed last year, the fifth most uh, by any center. He's just, I mean, the tech, yeah, and they allowed more pressures on the quarterback than just about anybody. I think they were 30th in the NFL yeah. at that. So you're putting Locke in a situation, you know, any of those quarterbacks in a situation uh, where they're under fire all, all the time. And, you know, it's it's not a situation where you're, you're wanting a guy at least who often doesn't make good decisions. If you're not letting him have the time to even make a good decision, 
it's yeah, it's not going to go well. So I think kind of curious to see if they're able to improve it. They really didn't add anybody uh, this off season. Um, maybe a few guys who got healthy, but it it's, doesn't look like they drafted. Yeah, we'll see. That, that seems see. to be a theme with the yeah. Pat Shermer offense is they, they don't really care about the <laughs> offensive line. Uh, well, it's, it's fine. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it, I mean, it, we can get into this at a later point. The data at least seems to point to that. It's like, as long as you have like an average offensive line, it should be fine. Um, the issue is, is if you get into like anything, if he gets into a situation where you're on their extremes, it can start to make a, a big difference for you. Start to, you know, look, look at the Bucks last year, right? right? The, the Bucks oh. um, go into, yeah, it's such a good offensive yeah. line. I mean, just really elite on both sides of the ball, defensive and offensive. And, and you take a look at the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs, even though they were suffering injuries into the playoffs, you look at the Packers too. They were suffering injuries going into the late last year. And they were still respectable. But then I think towards the end there, they, I think, lost to Tennessee, right? And that's kind of where things started to go south for them. And it's the same thing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. When your offensive line gets bad enough, even Mahomes is going to have a bad day. And and I think, you know, the, the Broncos are an injury away, you know, if, if not already there, they're close <laughs> right. to it. Yeah. And, and, and it, unfortunately, I think it could be just, a situation to watch because if they don't really have any new injection talent on that, that offensive line, they've got multiple starters in that line who rank towards the bottom of the league at their position. And, and then you add like, you know, if you just had bad injury lock or something like that, then that is, and is it that offensive offense is just going to suffer and you add it quarterback maybe lock starts because he can run a little bit yeah, yeah. uh bridgewater bridgewater no so anyway yeah there you go so I, for me that's partially the reason why i'm staying away from javante williams and melvin gordon um in in rejeff this year not not particularly because i really dislike either of them um it's more just because i don't think javante williams is going to be adding early season value and you know later in the season i just don't you know i don't want to be drafting a guy in fourth round um or fifth round um to to only give me half a season and, and melvin gordon's kind of going the opposite way right i'm not going to be drafting the guy i think in our startup he was being drafted oh i have this here pull it up go figure it went away from the page as soon as i did uh javante williams yeah Round 10, at the end of round 10. Okay, yeah, round 10, and then in our startup, um, Javante Williams went, yeah, end of the fourth round. So uh, I just, I think in that situation, I think at the end of the fourth round, I'd rather have some of the wide receivers that are going in that, that area. Michael yeah, Michael Thomas, Thomas I mean, Terry McLaurin. Yeah, DJ yeah. Moore. Joe Mixon. DJ Moore's a guy. Joe Mixon went two picks yeah. ahead of Javante Williams. Yeah, yeah. DJ Moore is a guy that I really like, and I've seen some some, some guys do some analysis on Twitter. I think it is is it Cooper anymore? He's uh he's done some analysis. Uh, I'll we'll, get, we'll credit him later here, but he's uh done some analysis on TD rates through like a couple starting years, and DJ Moore is like um like last place. Yeah, he's, <laughs> in yeah. the in the TD TD can't yards get in the zone. ratio. It just is ridiculous. So he's maybe he's Julio Jones 2.0 um, in that regard, but he's a player that I think can bounce back. He's a, he's someone I, I really like at that that area of the draft, but um, that's kind of getting off topic a little bit. So anyway, yeah. Any any quick thoughts about Javante Williams? I like him. I think he's quite good. He's a player that actually scored better than our models than uh, we would have expected, at least for me. From an analytical perspective, I would have thought Carter would have scored a little better. But Javante Williams gets a nice bonus bonus because he is um, someone who has a pretty high competition level and then also got good draft capital. So I am I, I don't hate him. I just, just I don't know. I don't find myself clicking the draft button on Javante Williams very often. Yeah, I would say in startups he's kind of a, not someone that I end up with, but in rookie drafts he's definitely a guy that I would target. So late first round, I'm. 
again i'm more i'm very oh yeah if he's yeah, like I'm, I'm very yeah. running back heavy so if i'm in that like seven eight eight range i would probably end up with javante williams more often than i would um a stud like rashad bateman or elijah moore so even though i, I love both of those receivers i i usually typically will end up javante williams and i prefer him like personally i'll, I'll take javante over travis Etienne. oh okay yeah, yeah. That, that's a guy that i think is really interesting to me in etn because etn is a player that if we look at from an analytical modeling perspective he scores extremely well like there really should be no doubt in our model's mind about who should be the number one pick in rookie drafts and that's etn he's scoring 92 percent plus grade which is fantastic that's a player that you know really should be no doubt but then you we start to add in all these things and, and at some point, I have to just start to listen to running back experts. So, you know, I've, I drag Jay Moyer, but um, he is very good at evaluating players. And so I listen to him. So I like to I like to poke fun. Um, but when when Jay doesn't have anything nice to say about a player, yeah, it's so bad. I start to get concerned. <laughs> so let me just read off some quotes here from Jay on Travis Etienne. Impatient, fails to adjust, bottom tier collision ability decelerates before contact limited ag- lateral agility tripped up easily heavy feet poor ball tracking can't sustain blocks like i read that and i'm just <laughs> like my hair is on fire like i can't like it just like the poor guy and that's like in our in our draft guide right like and that's me paraphrasing but it's like every other word i'm just like jay is just like stabbing him in the back again just, just you know <laughs> over and over again and it's just like this lets a poor guy like give it you know <laughs> let him let him let him try to succeed but then you have urban meyer and daryl bevel there and it, it, they're two guys that continually just drive people nuts um and unfortunately he's just coming to a situation too where james robinson is like you know our lord and savior to some people um maybe maybe even to you yeah, I love J Rob, man. I, you know, I think he's gonna be. So he's you got blinders. He's on. you got blinders on. It's just what I'm saying. Like all these ETN guys who hate him, they're like other. It's like, do you? Hey, what do you think about ETN? And it's like if you tell me if you like ETN or not, I can predict if you're a James Robinson fan. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a film analytics thing. I think for the most part, right? All the film guys love. It's love a good J-Rob. one. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah uh, the problem is you got a first round pick against an uh, undrafted guy, but um, the <laughs> yeah, so J Rob is the most interesting value for me when I'm doing my projection models. He sucks, so I end up with it. I end up drafting him all the time right now, um, but my projection mm-hmm. model is not like J Rob. Um, Where do you typically like to draft him? Just for perspective, uh, let me. I, I can tell you where you yeah, picked yeah, him in the startup yeah, here. You got him in the end of the ninth perfect- round, but I was thinking like. Um, other other types of leagues yeah i well. took him in he's some fishbowl yeah. same kind of idea you know yeah. like um like ahead of ronald jones oh okay yeah right I would do ahead that of damian harris damian harris i that i hate that situation yeah. i mean that that's it <laughs> those are the guys that okay. he's available around and I, to me i think that's like yeah how do you not yeah I guess how do you point. not buy yeah that? yeah so so yeah. let's let's dig into his projections a little yeah. bit. So you tell me where you got him. I'll, I'll talk about where I'm at in a bit. Yeah. Okay. So let me talk about it from an ETN perspective, yeah. and then maybe you can give me a James Robinson perspective. Absolutely. So just looking at it last year, James Robinson um, scored about two points per game over expectation um, in in the games that he played. So at his overall season, it was I think he played about 14 games total um or 15 games it scored 29 fantasy points um over what he was expected to score he just a stud was just no it's really good and and the point i'm making here is that plus 2.1 fantasy points over expectation in a game per game is among some of the best running backs in the business the players who we think are elite runners elite receivers so you're talking you know henry cmc cook chubb those are the guys who are just ahead of him on the list that kind of max out in you know, four to three fantasy points per game over expectation. Oh. So one, they're getting volume. Two, they're being efficient. 
Um, and and James Robinson was doing it on an 88% rush share and a 12% target share. And so my question is, is how much does ETN take? And and initially going through this, as I had been in rookie drafts kind of earlier in the season, we had been selecting selecting Travis Etienne um, as the second running back off the board, just behind Najee Harris. Because I think Najee Harris, we can easily project for you know sixty seven percent of the opportunity plus ten percent of the target share, which is what you need. And and really, you know, we're looking at him, and I'm saying like, okay, if he gets fifteen to eighteen touches a game, he can be an RP one. That's what I need. So how do you get to that 15, 18 touches per game? Well, took a look at the data and really that requires something along the lines of like a maybe 60 to 60% rush share, 10% target share, or maybe if you want to be a little more passing skewed, something like a 50% rush share and 15% plus target share. And I just don't think that's likely in year one, based on what we're hearing out of camp. We're really hearing that, you know, Carlos Hyde and no, literally, literally Carlos Hyde, like who and what in the world are they doing? But <laughs> he's a, but like he, James he, Robinson. He played for Urban uh, at Ohio State. So he's. Yeah. Oh, so We got Tebow. We got Carlos Hyde. We got all the yeah. boys back. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're good coaches or not. It's just funny at the end of the day, because it's going to be is. Ty, uh, is Trevor Lawrence a good quarterback? But what's going to be hilarious is if they're actually awful coaches and Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback, you could have a situation where you just kind of have odd things happening there, or just frustrating things happening there year after year, where like kind of like what you see up in Seattle. Where it's like, come on, let Lewis cook. He should cook. Come on, come on, come on. Um, but anyway, so 50, 50% rush share, 15% plus uh, target share. And I don't think that's likely based on what we're hearing, just as a kind of uh, uh, reference here, I think something similar to a DeAndre Swift level rookie year is in line for Travis Etienne. So as a rookie, Swift did deal with some injuries at times, but in the games he was playing, he was about 40, 45% rush share and between 10 and 15% target share. So that put him outside the top 20 in fantasy points, expected fantasy points per game. Um, and so I guess the long story short is if I go back in time, I'm just, I am kind of concerned <laughs> and I would, I, I should change my rookie picks. Maybe go pick Jamar Chase. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm like you, I tend to lean rookie running backs in drafts just because one, they're more predictable Two, that's the only time that you can get affordable running back production right. that is actually going to, to last yeah. you. Um, that's very true. Yeah. It's so you have to invest in. Um, and young rookie running backs if you want to compete um, at, at a reasonable level. So in Dynasty, when you can't be, you know, digging through the waiver wires or picking up the guys who, you know, jump out every year. It's deeper Dynasty leagues, everybody's rostered. So you have to be getting those kind of uh, assets at their cheapest. So yeah. anyway, um, talk myself into it. Maybe maybe at this point, I think if you, I go back, I probably, uh, the 106 in one of my leagues, um, I I probably go back and I pick, take Chase. I hate to say it, but probably do it at this point, just because. Absolutely, he's a yeah, at least he's, in year one. He's yeah, a at least, yeah. he's a talking myself out of this analytical. Yeah, yeah, he could very seriously be a major dynasty bust. Yep. I mean, J Rob's not going anywhere. He's got what three years left on his contract, so or at least up to sides and that's so. And so, you know, to have a a committee back, it's not worth a first-round pick, really, anywhere. So, with Javante, you know that Melvin Gordon's going to leave next year. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, great. And they love him. They talk about him all the time. But Travis is not going to beat J-Rob out in terms of for carries, I don't think. Um, So, so right now, where I have him, though, projection-wise, and I think this is where, like, when, when the rubber hits the road in a PPR league, you're going to go with the guy that everybody's saying is going to be their pass catching back. Um, and, yep. and so with ETN, I have him outscoring J-Rob. I have him at 12.3 points per game, uh, which is just outside of the RB2 range. And then uh, J-Rob, I have it about 11. Um, and and um, so carry... That's exactly that's where, where you're at. I would say it's dead yeah. on. I mean, that's it's exactly what... You know, the ballpark that DeAndre Swift was at last year. Yeah, and that's what right. I'm saying. It's like you're talking, give him, give him, 
you know, give them a little benefit of the doubt on ETN. You say, hey, take 40% of the rushes. So, you know, that's more than third down work. Um, and you give them 10 to 50% of the targets. And that's 12 fantasy points yep. a game. Yeah. So. PPI. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got J Rub at 220 carries and I have ETN at 170. So I think that's you know basically the way it's going to split. I gave I'm giving ETN 64 targets, which I think is pretty generous. But you know I figure they're going to be passed. Yeah, that's that. pretty generous. But, if... You know it, it's uh yeah it's tough. I'm I'm not really going to end up with ETN in any way, and and I would trade him if I had him at this point. So yeah, it's, it just comes down to you know we we take a look at this from multiple different angles and. We have one angle uh, that is Travis Etienne is not a good player. And that's the Joy J. Moyer angle. Um, that's not my angle. I, so, I actually like him. <laughs> no, yeah. no. I'm just, yeah, no, it's just me chuckling. It's just like, but then we have this other, these other angles too. It's like this analytical model angle, right? That what we say is like, he's a great player. Um, but then looking beyond the situation, we're saying, okay, how does this player actually look like? How does his landing spot look? Um, how does he actually project out? And it just, unfortunately, we're getting a player where, you know, whether, whether or not you think the talent is there, based on the opportunity that we expect him to have in year one, it's not a player that's going to be returning value for you. Now, that can change. You know, that, that can change. Travis Etienne could work himself into more early down work you know he could do that that's there's something that could absolutely happen um unfortunately based on the talent that's there and james robinson being pretty efficient last year i don't necessarily think that's going to happen and as we've said that maybe that's not his talent either right someone who's you know impatient or whatever or doesn't have great ability to manipulate second level defenders as jay would say so, you know, there's a, a situation where you could quickly see him being regulated into uh, almost a purely pass-catching role. And there's some players with rookie picks who'd be disappointed with that. So let's take a look at some of the other targets, though, uh, other players on the Jacksonville Jaguars. You went DJ Chark in this draft, did you I not? I did. I love DJ Chark. So, okay, I'm ending up with a lot of J-Rob and I'm ending up with a lot of DJ Chark. Because for me, that's like, you know, they represent the end of some tier, wherever that is. And Chark, I'm going, obviously, yep. is going uh, much further ahead. Um, but I took Chark after you took Sutton. And that, to me, I think is the most interesting conversation because I Sutton is getting a lot of uh, just general love um, for, for, the same, for doing the same thing that Chark did. Um, and so in, in 2019, actually Chark was the better fantasy receiver than Sutton was. And people forget that, um, there's, you know, all mm-hmm. this hype about like, oh yeah, uh, Jerry Judy's going to be second fiddle to Sutton. And, you know, uh, I think Chark is going to have it locked up over Chenault as well. So, um, for me, I, I think the excitement watching, watching Chark is, Hey, you have this big, fast, tall receiver who can catch the ball and really do a lot of what you want him to do. Um, and then Urban Meyer saying, hey, we're pushing him in the weight room and we're, we're saying, hey, we need more out of you in terms of physicality. Um, if he switches that mindset and he understands, oh, when I add weight, and he said he's added weight, um, and I feel more confident on the outside and I feel like I can bully defenders, then the sky's the limit for the guy. He's still a 4'3 athlete and he's 6'3 or whatever. So uh, I, I'm very excited for Chark. I think pairing him with Trevor Lawrence's a potential boom uh, all the way down to throughout the rest of his career if, if he hits. So um, I'm, I'm both a fan of Chark and LaVisca Chenault, um, but I think Chark is being underrated for what he was just two years ago. But I think it was in the 15-point, 16-point uh, points per game. Yeah, he had a, he's really, really good um, in 2019. But I want to take a quick back down memory lane and and really if you're looking at his production in terms of expected fantasy points he was only um really playing at a replacement level so replacement level for us is someone who's like you're not going to be starting that m as a top two wide receiver on your team you're going to be playing them in your flex spot so we call flex as a replacement so he really was kind of just outside or just inside depending on the week um providing that flex level play 
Um, and that's right about 12 to 12 and a half fantasy points per game. So in 2020, so last year, he was only at 11.9 expected fantasy points, which is outside the top 30. He's a player that I was also really, really high on. Um, maybe I traded the baton to you. I really liked him going into 2020. And that sounds like you really like him now. So he's a guy that I always was kind of high on and taking a closer look at him. Um, I think there's some reason for concern, not in the sense that I think he's a bad player. He's not going to be, you know, has potential to be top 24 player. I just don't think that ceiling is there for him to be a top 12 player. Um, maybe with some high variance weeks. Sure. He gets there, but um Whereas Sutton, I think, has the capability to command the target share, where DJ Chark really hasn't shown that yet. However, moving on to Chenault um, and even Marvin Jones, a guy who just, like, if there's a player built on air yards, it's Marvin Jones. Like, the dude just... Like he eats them for breakfast, eats them for lunch, has them for dinner, and along with his, you know, his ice cream snack, and he's just chowing down on those air yards. You know, he had a game with like 250 air, air yards last last season against Chicago. Oh like, yeah, he's the only guy. He's, yeah, he's, he's the only crazy. guy. Yeah, he, you know, if, if like if you could take a player like DJ Chark and then just like sprinkle in a little more variance, you're like, um, you know, it's like put a little salt on your steak, and it's like little. Um, variants on near DJ Chark, you'd have a Marvin Jones uh, because he's a player that kind of plays very similar to him. Um, but then we'll just have these games. It's so interesting where he'll he'll go 30% target share and like 160 air yards. And, he, and he's done this over the last two years. So he's a guy that I actually quite like. He in our our um, if you're playing best ball um, in our dynasty league, he he went in round 13. He'll go a little earlier in uh, like a single season best ball league but um adp's chart in our league went late seventh round chenault went mid eighth jones went 13th i think those are all decent values um chenault's the guy that i'm starting to cool off on i uh, really like chenault coming into the season and the big question for him is is he the number one on the team and you have to be a little bit careful just because looking at full season numbers, you got to account for whether uh, players are playing or not um, all 16 games to give them your final season numbers. But if you're looking at final, like uh, per game numbers, which is the numbers I tend to prefer because they tend to be more stable than the other numbers, um, he only had a 15% target share. Of course, he did add some rushing ability into that as well. Only 35 air yards per game, which was less than 10 expected fantasy points. So really... We're projecting a ton of improvement for LaVisca Chenault. He really only had three games over 12.5 expected fantasy points last year, which is, again, I've said this, is like 12.5 expected fantasy points. That's about replacement level for a week. You know, if you're going to have top 24 players in a week, that's going to be, you know, you got to be above that threshold. So he only had three games above that mark. And, you know, he, okay, so... You know, some people are saying, oh, yeah, he finished strong. So, yeah, sure. His last four games, he's all at 19% target share. Um, but he's just a guy who just does not see consistent air yards. And he's he's just susceptible to these weeks where he just seems to disappear. Like, he'll get a couple targets, but he'll have, like, a 19 air yard game. You know, he had a 32 air yard game. So, those last four games, he had, ni- he had 92, 19, 34, and 82 air yards in the game. So, he's just a guy that... I mean, it's probably a product of the quarterback play, especially towards the end of the season last year where they were, you know, tank for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, once the Jets uh, inexplicably decided to win a few games, um, I can't believe that. Yeah, go Jets. Uh, it, it was so stupid. <laughs> like, I mean, at some uh, it's point. Good. No, like, you got to send a message. It's, send a message. Yeah. I, uh, just, winning culture starts like, in your tank season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Winning culture starts with your coaching staff that is all going to be replaced. Um, yes, that's that's what you want. Um, so anyway, it just is like people are like really saying Lavishka Snell's going to be like taking the the spot over from Chark. Um, I'm not quite there yet. Lavishka Snell is another guy who's getting a ton of buzz this offseason. Let me let me read you a quote from 
uh, Urban Meyer. He says, uh, I don't know, how does Urban Meyer sound? He's from, where's he from? He have an accent or something. But anyway, he goes, uh, here's a guy, that's right, in the right position at that age gap. Yeah, I don't know what an age gap is, but he called. He's at second year. That he's age ready gap. to make the jump. Yeah. Okay. 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 Maybe that's what it means. Coach speak. I can't translate <laughs> it. He continues. I love who he is. I love the way he practices. Um, he's been there every day. So there you go. That's good. And said he's been a great puzzle piece for us to have on the office. His, plus, his attitude every day is fantastic. I'm like, have you ever heard anything that is like more coach speak? And I don't know why, um, Urban Meyer was given a more nasally voice than my northern accent already is so i apologize for how much that must sound on your headphones or however you're listening to us um but but i read through this and it's like here's a guy that's right in the right position at that age gap it's like what does that mean it's like yes here's a player that is young and on your team i love who he is i love the way he practices he's been here every day it's like Yes, he practices. That's good. He's in shape. He should be. He's a football player. He's a great puzzle piece for us to have in the office. His plus, his attitude every day is fantastic. It's like these are all like good things to say, but they don't really mean anything. It's like when if your coach is calling you a puzzle piece on your offense, like okay, like if we like a if we have a scale, like if this is like we have um I don't know, we have a um, a good if we have like someone's like coach says uh, this person's a good role player this person's a good like chess piece this person's like a puzzle piece you know this person's you know our our alpha or like, I mean there's a bunch of different these like idioms that these coaches use and puzzle piece to me it's not like, good we don't need to no. analyze this but it's, it's like it just it, yeah it just speaks for someone who's going to be worked into the offense but he's not necessarily going to be focal point of the offense just like he was last year. You know, Urban Meyer has done this with players in the past where, you know, you get him targets, you get him touches, different parts of the field, you're manufacturing touches for them. But at the end of the day, they're just not seeing a ton of workload. So we saw that with Curtis Samuel, him out of uh, Ohio State. And it, it, it's just, it's a player that you mix in ETN, which, I mean, honestly, it kind of looked like they could play similar positions. So playing out of the backfield, getting those rush attempts, you know, taking it out wide, um, you know, wide read zone, whatever. I don't know. I get show off my terrible football knowledge. But it, it just is this a situation here where I don't necessarily think um, Chanel takes the, the step that everybody wants him to take. So what, what are you thinking about this? Uh, I love Chanel. So I'm, I'm on the total opposite of you, I guess. With Chark and Chanel, I think they'll both step up and, and play well. I have them both over triple-digit targets. Uh, and then Marvin Jones, I'm a little bit cooler on just because he's a little bit older. So, uh, But but all of those guys, I think Chark can hit. I have Chark at 21%. I have Chanel at, That's at a good 20%, number. which might be much. That'd be a great probably number. Probably a lot higher than, than what you have, Matt. And then I have uh, Marv at like 15, 16. And so... No, that's about you know, right. Call yeah, I mean, I'm not going to complain about the numbers. Sure, I, just, yeah. I just look at it at the end of the day, and I'm I'm saying which one of these guys can take the step from top 36 wide receiver, a player you're playing wide receiver two three every week on your team, to a player that's going to be winning you your league. And and I and I have to wonder is is that player on the roster at this point? No, I, I think this is the best value team uh, wide receiver wise in the draft. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we have to make a little bet on this. Yeah. I think, I mean, if, if honestly, if you're looking at players, they're all being drafted. Um, historically speaking, these are the players you want to make bets on. You're right. looking for players who are, um, where it's an ambiguous situation at the top, and you are expecting their offense to be at least average or above average. And, and Trevor Lawrence, I think we can do that. So if you're, if you're saying I can get the wide receiver one, uh, on a team that's going to be an average offense in the NFL at the you know a seventh round in a startup eighth round in a startup yeah that, okay we should, should be making those picks every day yeah. um, fortunately for us I think there's a number of those players that we should be picking uh, like Sutton and uh, there's a bunch of wide receiver value that you can get in that part of the, of the draft that's why I love love picking them there yeah five five through seven dynasty startup go get your wide receivers um, that's what you do so yeah the 
yeah like uh you know Chark, Chenault, I would take them very close to each other. Um, and, you know, if you get to a turn and you're in some sort of dynasty startup, I'd even take them back to back because one of them I think will hit. Um, and and Chark I have more confidence in because, again, t- two years ago, he was good on a terrible offense with a nothing special quarterback. You're upgrading him to, to Trevor Lawrence, and I think he'll, he'll be, he has a shot to improve on his 15.1 fantasy points per game he had in 2019. So... All right, so give me give me a bold prediction here. Who, what player is uh, Chark or is going to outscore that you know nobody expects? Give me, give, yeah, give me some sort of like either or on a guy. I think he can be a top fifteen receiver. How's that? That's good. Yeah, you, you like that one. <laughs> so which one? <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how yeah. about? Oh, here's one for you. Yeah, so we're talking DJ earlier. I think DJ Chark can outscore DJ Moore. So oh. you like that one, don't you? Oh, oh d- d- okay, that's that's ridiculous. your ballpark, right? Oh, easily okay. he could be better than DJ Moore. They're, they're basically it's basically oh. the same thing. It could be. I, as much as I hate it, and I think one of those players is way better. That that, yeah, that's the point. It's like you know, you're it's it is actually an ambiguous situation. Uh, we have a, a new quarterback in a, you know, theoretically high-powered, you know, fresh offensive college coach. It's the same thing. It, it's just Charky get three rounds later. The DJ, the no, DJ Moore hype is out of control. And I, no, I, I have, it's I have a, I have, it's I have a healthy respect for DJ Moore, but you know. He's like a fourth or fifth round pick in startups. He's like not overpriced at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh takes here with the, the dueling the DJs. So, um, yeah. We're the fantasy football astronauts, and we are going to pick our wife up at the airport.